We are super excited to be here tonight. Uh, this is Travis, and I am Dawn. Um, so Travis and I, uh, we just recently moved to Bismarck, North Dakota. We grew up um, in Minneapolis and pastored, have pastored for the last 22 years in Iowa. Um, we love Iowa, actually. Believe it or not, the people in Minnesota always make fun of Iowans, and we haven't. We faithfully defend you guys. Never. 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 You guys are phenomenal. Uh, but we are huge Kyalfa fans. Like, beyond, like, when we travel and we speak, we put a plug in for Kyalfa everywhere and anywhere we go. And we ask them to support you guys. Because what you guys are doing, what Kyalfa is doing, what Emily and Daniel and the rest of the staff, Jason and Samantha, and I know there's more on staff, what you guys are doing is unbelievable. Seriously, you guys are, are helping um, people when they come onto a college campus at that point in their life when they're 18, when they're kind of discovering faith for themselves. You guys are helping them find a community, plug in, and develop a real faith on their own. So I am grateful. I know Kyle has changed my kid's life, my son, um, Alex, and my daughter, Samantha. And we are just super, thank you so much for all that you do for the um, Kyle leaders. Um, you're forever. We pray for you, and we pray for this particular Chi Alpha um, a lot. We just really love you guys. We care about you, and we believe in you. So Travis and I, we started dating when I was 16 years old, and he was 18. We dated for three years, and my 19th birthday, he asked me to marry him, and we got married three months later. If you're going to get married, I mean, at that point, you're going to get ready. You might just get married, right? Um, so we have been married now for 25 years. We have two children. You can put up, I think, one of the pictures. So we have two children. Alex is in the back, and he's 23. He just graduated from Iowa State. He's an engineer in St. Paul. He's actually engaged now to Katie Stuva of University or of Ames. And then we have my daughter, beautiful daughter, Samantha's in the middle. And Jason is, I don't want to say in-law, because I just love having kids. So he's my son, too. He's amazing. He's awesome. Uh, this is our picture. We, go, we got to go with them to London in March. So this is one of our, right in front of our, our flat that we had rented. But I love family. I love my kids. Um, I believe in them. Uh, being a mom is a privilege. So like I said, we've been married for 25 years. And now after, after fa uh, failures and after just lessons and everything, I think we're just starting to get a good foundation. We're like, there. we're still a work in progress, but when we were dating, though, we definitely, we did some things right, but we definitely made some mistakes along the way. So tonight, as someone um, who is single, we want to hopefully answer this question for you. What can you guys do today to have a healthy future marriage? How can you live it now so you can give it later? Again, how can you live it now so you can give it later? So before we start, we're just going to go ahead and pray. God, I thank you so much for your presence. I thank you, Lord God, that we can feel you. God, I thank you, like in that one song, it said, all your promises are yes and amen. God, although we were on days we're not faithful to you, God, you are faithful to us. God, we pray that your spirit would be here tonight. God, open our eyes. To, to see you, God, open our ears to hear you, open our hearts to receive whatever you have for us, God. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, thanks for having us. Thanks for Dan to Daniel and Emily and, and Jason and Samantha and the rest of the team for letting us come and, 
and hang out. Uh, Don showed you a picture just a little bit ago, uh, and you can throw it up there. There might even be a second one. We did go to London last March as a family, and we had an amazing time. Like my whole life, I was thinking England's going to be like this. You know, London's going to kind of be a certain way, and I had amped it up and kind of was, was really excited. And then I remember stepping out into London with my family, you know, with Sam and Jason and Buckingham Palace, and I got there, and it blew my mind. Like it was a hundred times better than I ever thought it would be. And it was just so fun because in London, it's so eclectic, especially with architecture. I mean, you'll be standing, if you've been there, maybe you know this, but if you haven't, you'll be standing in downtown London right next to like a thousand-year-old castle or a, or a big fortress. And then suddenly you'll turn and you'll start walking. And right there is a four-year-old skyscraper. And it's so incredible. It's so amazing. And we were just kind of going around London everywhere, checking everything out and having a great time. I was doing my best with my British accent that absolutely sucked, but I tried to make it work. But we were just having a good time. And then suddenly I saw it. There it was, this incredible building. It was unbelievable. I was like, what is that? So let me tell you the, the kind of background, if you will, about this building. It's called the Shard. The Shard is the fifth largest, tallest building in all of Europe. It's over 1,000 feet tall. It's 95 stories. It was completed or opened in 2013, but there's a backstory that you need to hear. Because I remember we were walking along and I saw it. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this, this building? They call it neo-futuristic. But there's a backstory. See, the people, the leaders of London, they one day, they wanted to knock down an old building that had been built in 1975. They knocked it down and they decided to try to find an, an architect that could build them an amazing building. They knew it would be the jewel of London. And so they looked all over for the best kind of architect that would be able to get exactly what they wanted. And they finally found a guy by the name of Renzo Piano. And they got together with Renzo Piano. They had supper together. And the leaders of London began to unpack their vision. And they said, look, here's what we want. And suddenly he got quiet. He took out a pen. He grabbed a, a, a paper napkin. He began to draw fever, 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 feverishly. Sorry, I can't talk. But he began to draw like crazy. And finally, he flipped the napkin around, threw it in front of him. And there it was. Uh, kind of a, a really quick version of this. And they were like, wow, man, that's exactly what we were looking for. They didn't say anything at the time, but they got together with their lawyers and they worked it all out. They're like, man, we got to give him a really good offer. He's the guy. That's the architect that we want on this project, the jewel of London, the shard. And so they went back to him. They threw a contract in his face and they said, Renzo, Renzo will you build this building for one million pounds? And he thought about it. And he thought about it. And he finally looked at him and he said, no, I don't want your money. You can't pay me enough to build this building, to design it. I don't want your money, but I know exactly what I want. I want something that you can't give me right now. When it's done, I want the keys to an entire floor of the shard. You're going to give it to me. If you want me to build this for you, you must give me one of the entire floors near the top. And finally, they went back and forth and they finally agreed. 
And he began to build, and he built it, and he designed it, and poured his life into it. And finally, the day came, it opened up. They said, Renzo, here's your keys, here's your payment. No money, just some real estate. He had had that vision, and he had worked really hard, you know, in advance, believing that one day, whatever he was putting his efforts into this building, that one day it would pay off. He grabbed the keys. I don't know if he lived there, he threw a lot of parties, but for about a year, he hung on to the keys when finally, after a year, he decided to sell his one level near the top of the shard. He sold it for over 45 million pounds. I love that story. When the tour guide told us, I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Here's why. Because he had a vision. You know, the concept pouring your life, working really, really hard now for something that you can't see. It isn't manifested yet. You can't touch it. It's not there. It's not a part of your reality. But you're investing. You're working hard right now. And one day, one day, it pays off. And it's amazing. As part of your loved series, this is what we're talking about today. Live it to give it. Live it now. Live in such a way that you're following Jesus so, so passionately that one day you can give it. Give the kind of love that will, that will absolutely explode your marriage in a wonderful, amazing way. Again, the concept, working hard on something now that you know will pay you back later. So what can you do today to have a healthy future marriage? How can you live it right now to give it later? Guys, I, I want to remind you of something that you've probably already figured out. You are building your future right now. You know that. But here's what I'm getting at. You are Renzo Piano. You're it. You are absolutely the architect of your life, of your future. You are working hard, and the decisions that you make, the habits that you establish right now help lay a foundation for your future relationships, but especially your marriage. So Don and I, we've talked about this. We were like, what if? What if we could, right? What if we could build a time machine right now, like right here in front of all you guys, open the door, both of us get in, shut the door, and go back in time 25 years into the past and sit down at Starbucks and have a cup of coffee with our 25-year younger selves? What kind of advice as, as those who have been married for over 25 years, what would we give ourselves as single people for advice? What would we tell ourselves? Well, the first thing as I would kick back in that chair, and I'd sip that Starbucks. First thing I'd do is I'd look into the eyes of my younger self. I'd say, Travis, here's what you got to do. You need to understand your identity in Christ. It all starts right there. Write that down. Understand your identity in Christ. Guys, did you know you are priceless? You are incredible. You are amazing, but not like your parents, the way that they told you. You know how you're growing up and your parents say, I love you. You can do anything. You can be anything. You know, your parents are just pour in love. But even deeper than that, guys, on a much deeper spiritual level, you are a treasure. What do I mean? Jesus paid for you and he makes his home in you. And so that means that you are his these really are, these aren't Renzo Piano's keys. These are my keys. These are really the keys to my house. And you know who gets to go into my house? The person that owns these keys or the person that comes with me into my house while I have the keys. Did you know that Jesus owns the keys to your heart? You are 
his if you've committed your life to him. Paul, a great leader in the New Testament church, here's what he said. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm getting at. You are God's building. Do you believe that? I think I'm alone here in Iowa tonight. Do you guys believe that? You are God's building. Do you know what that means? Do you believe that in a spiritual sense? That means when you walk into Starbucks for real and you ask for a drink, the power of God is inside of you. His spirit lives in you. And when you take that, that drink and you smile and you hold the conversation and you have an exchange with that person, that is an eternal exchange. When you walk away, they're either closer to God or further away from him. You are God's building. You are his temple. That, that's what Paul, this leader in the New Testament church, that's what he said. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, he writes, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. That's what you guys are. And you together are that temple. You're a sacred dwelling place for God. In the mornings, I grab a cup of coffee I find a dark room, and I just sit there with Jesus, and I think to myself, wow, he's here, right here, right now, and the power of God begins to just flow over me and encompass my life. The message version puts it this way. It says, you realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God? That's why you're a treasure, and God himself is present in you. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred, and you, remember, are the temple. You're it. He doesn't dwell in buildings like this or churches. We were, again, in England and thousand-year-old cathedrals. That's not where God's at. No, I don't know. Sam's got a hat on somewhere. He's in Sam, right? He's in Ryan, drummer, right? That's where God's at. Jocelyn, God is in you. He's in you. And he is there waiting to do powerful things in and through you. Now, here's the thing. We're talking about love. We're talking about live it to give it. Live it now so you can give it later. Live it now. Live for Jesus so that when you're married, you can give it. You can have this amazing, incredible love that you give to your spouse. But the problem is, is you get married, sometimes if we're not careful, the love that we have for our spouse, suddenly it becomes, if we're not careful, more than our love for Jesus. And I've had to be careful of that over the years. I had to resist the temptation because we have been so in love at, at different times that I've wanted to uh, just give her even more, more than I'm giving to Jesus. And you know what? That happens in dating, doesn't it? And to, so to keep this from happening, it requires a decision to not compromise your relationship with Jesus just to please yourself or someone else. And here's the key. When you know and believe your identity, that you are a sacred dwelling place for God, then you will make him and a relationship with him a priority. You'll make him a priority. And if he's more important than the person that you are dating, it'll be much easier to keep him that way when you are married. So what can you do today to have a healthy future marriage? Guys, the next thing that pop, pops into our minds after 25 years of marriage, and if we could go back and, and give ourselves some advice 25 years ago, if you're going to live it now so that you can give it later, it's important to set boundaries to protect your purity. So why do we need to do that? This is probably going to sound kind of blunt, but honestly, we're all, 
lusters, or at one point we have been lusters. What does it mean to lust? The word lust means usually an intense or unbridled sexual desire, an intense longing or craving. I think if we're all honest in here this, tonight, all of us in this room have at one point uh, probably have had an intense longing or craving to have sex with someone that you're not married to. Maybe it's your fiance, maybe it's your girlfriend, but we've had that desire, we, we've lusted. Who hasn't sinned? We are all prone to sin, yet God tells Cain in Genesis 4-7, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Many people think or believe that when you get married, that temptation won't exist. Honestly, that's not true at all. Temptation will still exist when you are married Actually, sometimes it can even become stronger because now there's an enemy that is fighting against you and against your marriage because it knows if it can destroy your marriage, it can destroy your kids and the families and it can affect families for generations to come. Why is Satan fighting so hard against marriage? Because he knows it could very well be God's best expression of love on this earth. So if we're going to live it now so that we can give it later in marriage, then what is the right attitude and idea that we should, we, we should have towards our sexuality and protecting it? 1 Corinthians 6.15, it says, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord's is one in spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. I like how it doesn't say, you know, kind of walk away. It's like run, like sprint from sexual sin. So if our bodies are actually united with Jesus, then how can we honor God now in our relationships? How can we honor God in our future marriages I think the, se- the secret to this is in establishing boundaries. Mike Pence, um, I, w- I was actually really intrigued by a, a news piece that I heard last March um, with this Washington Post headline. The title said, Mike Pence doesn't dine alone with other women, and we're all shocked. On March 29th, the Washington Post, Ashley Parker tweeted these very words. Mike Pence never dines alone with a woman, not his wife, nor does he attend events with alcohol without her by his side. I was shocked because it went on in this article. It says, many people on both the right and the left reacted with shock and criticism. Parker went on to say, during his 12 years in Congress, Vice President Pence had rules to avoid any infidelity temptations or rumors of impropriety. Those included requiring that any aide who had to work late assist him be a male, never dining alone with a woman other than his wife, and not attending an event where alcohol is served unless his wife Karen was there. In a 2002 interview uh, with, the Hill, or with Hill, Vice President Pence said this. He called it, building a zone around your marriage. If there's alcohol being served and people are being loose, I want to have the best-looking brunette in the room standing next to me, Vice, uh, Pre- Pe- Vice President Pence said, and he was talking about his wife. Why? I, I read that. and like, why did this at all get a negative reaction? 
If anything, we should be applauding what our vice president was trying to do. He was trying to protect his marriage because he realizes that sin is crouching at his door. Sin is crouching at my door. Sin is crouching at your door. We need to put boundaries around it, protect to protect ourselves and to protect our purity. So how can you live it now to give it later in your marriage? We need to figure out what boundaries should look like for you as a person who is unmarried or as a person who might be dating. Here are some really good questions for you to answer. I can't, I can't stand up here and say, here, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. That's not, my, that's not what I'm going to do. You need to, you need to put up your own boundaries. But there are some questions that you need to ask yourself when it comes to setting up those boundaries. Questions like, what type of person will you date, pursue, or spend a vast amount of time with? Questions like, how much time will you and your girlfriend or boyfriend be spending together? Where will you be spending that time together? Will you be together alone or together in groups? Questions like, what physical boundaries are in place? How far is too far physically? That is one question, honestly, we have been asked so many times. And I would love it if we could somehow turn that question around and say, not how, you know, how far is too far, but Jesus, how close can I get to you? God, how close can I get to you? To honor God in your relationship, it's vitally important to establish a boundary to obtain from premarital sex. That's a huge boundary. That's a non-negotiable I received an email this last week, and I was, I was on Thursday, I was responding from a 40-year-old woman. I won't say her name. I'm just going to call her Lisa. But let me read to you what this email said. It says, where in the Bible does it say it is sinful to have premarital sex or live together unmarried? I'll be 40 years old this year. I've been divorced twice. My boyfriend is divorced isn't it a ridiculous notion, given our past, to expect that we live a life of purity and not live together? I told my boyfriend I wanted to try living a life of purity with him, but he didn't like the idea or understand what my purpose in wanting to do that. Plus, when I asked him about it, I was doubtful that we could adhere to that. I went on and I was like, okay, this is going to take a lot of time, and I, I researched it and I, was, I prayed over it because she's kind of a new believer, and I didn't want to condemn her in any way. And honestly, anyone in this room, there's no condemnation. If you've already given some of your purity away, God, is a, his mercies are new every morning. He is a God that redeems us, and tomorrow is a brand new day, a day to start over. So I'm not saying anything when it comes to purity to make anyone feel bad because, again, his mercies are new every morning. But there was, there is some truth that the Bible, the Bible is our guide on how we live. And there is some black and white truth when it comes to sexual purity. When the Bible talks about premarital sex, it oftentimes uses the word adultery. Adultery in biblical terms refers to sex outside of the context of marriage. In Hebrews 13, 14, it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God created sexual intimacy to be between a man and a woman who are in a committed marriage relationship. I want to just end you, uh, read with you really quick the last, the end of my email. I said, Lisa, I know this is a difficult area. Sex brings pleasure. It is something that we desire. 
There are many things in life that could bring us pleasure, but in all reality could be harmful to us long term. Ultimately, Lisa, this will affect your relationship with Jesus. The bottom line is the choice is yours. God gave us each a free will to decide and choose what we will do. No one can make you or convince you. It is between you and God. We all need to take time to stop and listen to that still small voice that is inside of us in each of our hearts and follow what it is telling us to do. The Holy Spirit will speak and guide you. The relationship that you have with God is between you and him, not you and your boyfriend and God. You have to make that decision alone when it comes to purity. We will all stand before God one day and give an account for the decisions that we've made here on earth. Again, just you and God, no one else. Every day we all choose what we will do. This lady is 40 years old, and she is trying to establish boundaries. So there are a few things that... Um, that Travis and I have done, there's boundaries that we have put into place just to try to make sure that we are honoring each other and, and making a commitment to purity in our own marriage. And hopefully just hearing these will inspire you or give you different ideas or things to try to create boundaries. But there's things that Travis and I do. We never spend time alone with anyone of the opposite sex ever. This can get tricky sometimes, especially in ministry. Um, sometimes people will need a ride home. And so I know, especially when we were youth pastors, Travis would have to come home and he'd get, the, get, us, get me and get the kids and we'd, we'd you know, jump in a vehicle and we'd go drive a, a student, a female student home. It can be inconvenient, but we do not want to have, ever have a temptation or, or put either of us in a situation that could be compromising. We've agreed, we have agreed to always protect each other's reputation. We honor each other with our words and with our actions. We have complete and brutal honesty at all times. We have no secrets. Travis has every single passcode I could ever, my phone, my, my iPad, my computer, our bank account. We know each other's passwords for everything. This has nothing to do with control. I want to have a, a, a pure relationship with my, my, with my husband. Another thing that we have done is we have agreed to not view pornography by ourselves or with each other as a couple. And I know this is a struggle. This is an epidemic um, in our society today, not just in men, but men and women and couples. 45% of couples agree to viewing pornography together as a stimulant to help their sex life. But this is a boundary that Travis and I have drawn firmly in the stand, and we will not cross that boundary. We will not view pornography Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The last boundary that Travis and I have is we pray for each other every single day. Because like I said before, there is an enemy out there. He's trying to come in and steal and kill and destroy our marriage. We know each other's struggles. We know each other's weaknesses. And we pray faithfully for each other and with each other. So uh, part of that too is that not only do we have boundaries to protect from the outside, but one of the things that we get to do in marriage is we get to have lots of awesome sex. We get to be together like crazy and, and uh, give each other pleasure. And I hope that doesn't make you uncomfortable because it's all over in the Bible. God created it. And let me tell you something. The marriages that are Jesus-centered should be the hottest, most passionate marriages on this earth. Amen, Pastor Daniel? That's right. 
Yeah, and there are married couples in this room, and so that's an awesome thing. I go to bed at night, and I don't have any guilt, and I thank Jesus for that, that he has given that and, and, and put that uh, in our lives. Again, we're talking about living it to give it, live it to give it, and so what does that look like? If I were to sit down with my, myself 25 years in the past, if I were to jump in a time machine, sit at Starbucks, drink that sip of coffee, what are, what are some things that I would give as far as advice and Don shared some of those, of course, understanding your identity in Christ, so important, and making sure that you have boundaries to protect your purity, can't talk, but write this down also, practice serving others, practice serving others. Yes, marriage is amazing, it's incredible, but marriage is literally the ultimate test of somebody's true motives. Are you willing to love and to serve somebody else like Jesus loves and serves you. The best marriages, in our opinion, that we've seen in our lifetimes are the ones where the husband is doing everything within his power to serve his wife, where the wife is doing everything within her power to serve her husband. But here's like the number one killer of, of your future marriage. It's this, selfishness. Selfishness right now in this moment is the number one killer of you, your future marriage. So what if you can you can take selfishness right now, pull out a gun, shoot it, put it, put it, put it to death, kill it right now. Like that's the thing to do. Why? Because once you're married, you want to keep the one that God has given you the focus of your efforts, meeting their needs. First should be your highest priority, not your own. But the problem is, is this can be easy, of course, when we're dating. Why? Because you're trying to win them over. You're attracted to them and you want to be around them all the time. But I love what Jesus did. He talked about love and he didn't just talk about, you know, love between friends or love between people that are dating or married, but he took love and he, he jacked it up, man. He brought it to a whole nother level. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus said this. He said, if you love only those who love you, in other words, love you in return, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. But then he said in verse 35, enemies, do good to them. Guys. That's an amazing picture of love. I mean, the truest test of anyone's Christian faith is to see if they will serve the ones that are hurting them. I mean, after all, that's what Jesus did. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They whipped him. They beat him. They nailed him to a cross. And as he's hanging there and he's about to breathe his final breaths, he looks down at the people that are murdering him and he defends them to God. And he says, Father, forgive them because I don't know what they're doing. Don't hold this sin against them. Guys, you want to kill selfishness right now in your life? You want to kill it so that it doesn't kill your future relationships, your future marriage? Here's what you need to do. You need to find somebody who's unlovable. Find somebody who pushes your buttons, drives you crazy. Maybe it's your roommate. You know the one that walks to the fridge and like eats all your food, takes everything? It's probably time to buy them some food, right? Maybe their favorite food. Put a little card there so when they open the door the next time, it says, hey man, I love you. I got your back. Eat this on me. The doorbell rings. It's the pizza guy. He walks in. He brings food to your pizza, to your roommate, and it's all paid for, and they sit there, and they eat it, and they don't know where it came from, and you're sitting there smiling because they're driving you crazy, but you are practicing loving the unlovable. Maybe it's cleaning the bathroom or doing the dishes, but kill selfishness in you because 
telling you, selfishness has been the most difficult thing in our marriage for 25 years. It's when Travis rises up and says, you're not giving me what I want, and you need to give me this, and you need to give me that. And so I need to work hard at that. And that's what I would tell my 25 uh, year younger self. And the last thing I want you to write, write this down again, live it to give it. Live it now so you can give it later. We're talking about love. Write this down. View God, not your future spouse, as the ultimate source of everything you need. View God as the ultimate source. You know, this culture, it's lied to us. Iowa, Minnesota, wherever you're from, it's lied to you. The United States of America. We watch it on TV. We read it books. Uh, we watch it in the movie theaters. We, we hear people say, you know what? If you just find the right guy, if you just find the right woman, you'll live happily ever after. Man, she's so hot. If I could just have her, he's so good looking. He's so attractive. If I could just have him, I mean, look at his muscles. Oh, I just want to, man, it would be so awesome to just wrap my body around all those muscles. And you know what? Guys, it's not true. You see, we put the best on display to attract the one person we really want to be with. And in dating, the perception that we form about them and what they form about us isn't always exactly correct. And this all leads to unrealistic expectations in relationships, especially in marriage. Can I just be really blunt and honest? Your spouse will never make you happy. They won't. Your spouse doesn't have the power to make you happy. I know some of you, I'm talking to you, you're not married, you're not, you're not even dating, but your future spouse, just take it off of them. They will never make you happy. Oh yeah, they can bring some joy into your life. They can bring some happiness. But let me tell you something. The only way to get real joy, to get real happiness, you can't find it on this earth. It's through a relationship with Jesus. It's waking up. It's connecting with him on a daily basis. And what does it look like to, to go to God as the source of our true happiness? Jesus was in the garden or in the wilderness and he hadn't eaten for 40 days. And, and the devil, the one that we talked about today, not today, right? The devil comes up to him and says, come on, Jesus, you see that rock? Doesn't that look like a loaf of bread? I know you're hungry, Jesus. And you know what he said? He said, man will not live on bread alone, but on every word proceeds from the mouth of God. I am going to sit at my father's feet every single day and I'm going to say, God, feed me. Feed me because I'm dying. I'm starving of spiritual hunger on this earth. There's nothing. There's nothing that will bring me true joy except for your words and a relationship with you, Father. So I want to encourage you as you prepare for your, your future marriage, practice strong spiritual disciplines. Believe and act like God is the source because he is of all joy, of all happiness. Start every day with time with Jesus. Pray, read your Bible, grab the Bible. Man, I'm telling you, this is a world filled, it's not black and white, it's filled with gray everywhere. But when you grab the Bible, you're like, wait a second, that's truth. I know it is. And it's that, that, that recalibration that says, Sets our spiritual compass straight. Read books that encourage and sharpen your faith. Again, live it to give it. If 
I could go back into that time machine and I could have coffee, Don and I with our 25-year younger selves. Again, I, I would just say, man, Travis, you are building a future now. How you live, the decisions you make, and the habits that you establish now help lay a foundation for your future relationships, especially your marriage. So what can you do today, again, to have a healthy future marriage? Just as we recap, how can you live it now so you can give it later? Again, really quickly, guys, understand your identity in Christ. Get that, that you are a treasure. He lives in you. Set boundaries to protect your purity. God, his holiness will cover you and, and wash over you. Practice serving others. Kill the selfishness inside of you. It will so help you have a great marriage. And view God, not your future spouse, as the ultimate source of everything you need. I just want to call the band up. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to ask you guys, just bow your heads if you would and close your eyes. And I want to I just ask you, as, as we've been talking about, about relationships, about marriage, there are some of you in this room, as, as we just kind of quiet ourselves before God, there are some of you that you're thinking, man, you know what? I need, I need those things that we've been talking about tonight. I want God's help in my relationships. I want to know that I'm loved by God and by the one that he has chosen. And so just with, with your guys' heads bowed and, and eyes closed, I want to ask you, if you're here tonight and you're just like, you know what? I need help. I need the Holy Spirit's help in my, my soon-to-be dating relationship, in my, in my fiance someday, and in my marriage. You know what? I need God's help. I need the truth that has been talked about tonight. God, cement it in my heart. If that's you, just raise your hand quickly. Just say, God, just raise it up, guys. Don't be afraid. Just say, God, I need it. This is not for the people around you. This is for you. Yeah, man, you can put your hand down. Thank you. God is going to do awesome things in your life. But there's another group of people that I want, to, I want to call out tonight. If you're here and you feel like there are some things in your past that are weighting you down, things that are, are guilt, that are holding on to you, and you feel like, man, I can't be right with God. And, and you're just saying, God, would you just please take all that garbage away, the mistakes that I have made in relationships in the past. If that's you and you want a clean slate tonight, just like Don said, God's mercies are new every morning. God will forgive you. He doesn't care about your past. He cares only about your future. If that's you, just raise your hand. Say, God, I need it. I need a new slate. Raise your hand. God, I've messed up in the past. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. God, this is between you and God. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. God, I just want to pray tonight for these awesome, courageous students, leaders. God, I just pray for these amazing vessels of you. God, and, and what you're doing in their lives. Lord, we thank you that we are loved. We thank you, God, that we can live it now to give it later. I pray, Father, for those that said tonight, God, that they want this in their lives. Give them the courage to live them out. Release the power of your Holy Spirit in their lives. And Lord, for those that feel like they've made mistakes, God, I pray that you would totally wash them clean. Right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would set them free from the past and that they would be clean. Just like Jesus, you said to the woman caught in adultery, where are your accusers now? Go and sin no more. Set them free and let them know that they are loved. It's in Jesus' name we pray.